0: Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. Hello there, O'Toole. Hey, Hollister. I'm saying that with a little bit of trepidation because last week we did Whiskey Tango.
1: (laughs) Foxtrot?
0: And now now this week we're doing Eye in the Sky. Like, are we joining the military? What is the deal here? (laughs) But before we get started on all of that, and it's certainly a movie worthy of our review. Before we get started on it, though, I had a bunch of things to talk about. Oh, do tell. And first, yeah, well, um, first of all, well, it's one of them's about you, actually. Oh, well, we can keep um, that short. I did finish, over the weekend, the fabulous Downton Abbey. Hollister,
1: I loved the, the blog post that you put up on our website oh, today, ScreenThoughts.net, yeah. your five lessons that you learned from Downton Abbey. I, just, I thought I, it was fabulous.
0: Oh thanks. I wanted, you know, we've already podcast a review of Downton Abbey, uh, you know, as a as a series last year. And I don't think that's changed much, but you know, I I just hated watching the last episode. I hated to say goodbye to all my friends there. But I did have I just pondered over the weekend the five lessons from Downton Abbey that have changed my life, which of course, I think all movies and TVs should do in some way. So I hope you will uh, go and take a look at it. It's at ScreenThoughts.net in the Hollister Review section. And Downton was the
1: most successful series ever broadcast on PBS.
0: Oh, I thought you were going to say it was our most successful podcast <laughs> ever. Bro- and I'm interested to see what Julian's going to do next. They are talking about a movie, you know, so... Um, which I don't know if it's a good idea or not, to tell you the truth. Okay, so moving from Downton Abbey, let's go into, of course, the next stop after England would be Hoboken, New Jersey, <laughs> and we, you know, we had the honor. The Preppy Connection is is um, coming to theaters hopefully near you in a week or so, and we did go out and interview the producer and the director of the film, and then. O'Toole took a little spin around Hoboken. The video did is great, and that's at uh, ScreenThoughts.net in um, O'Toole's video section. So if you haven't seen it, you should go see it. Yeah,
1: Hollister, as you and I were driving into Hoboken together, we were talking about how many famous singers have come, of course, from New Jersey as we crossed over Sinatra Drive. And then we got to Joe's office, and he was pointing out directly across the street you can see scenes that are in on the waterfront.
0: You know, uh, when I saw your uh, video of the alleyway, it really is amazing that so much time has passed and nothing has changed. Uh, Good for them.
1: And I just loved how Joe pointed out that some of the most interesting acting choices ever made happened in Hoboken.
0: Who knew? There you go, Hoboken, yay, Hoboken. (laughs) And then lastly, I also put up in the written review section of Screen Thoughts, my review of House of Cards' latest season that just went up, which I think is the best season so far.
1: Hollister, I have to ask, did, did you watch the whole season in one sitting? Uh,
0: you know, why would you ask me that and try to humiliate me in front of the world? <laughs> well, like, is there, a, what is the purpose of that question? And I, as I like to say, when people are irritating me, what is your intention well, with that I question? know
1: when others say that they've binge watched, do you always call them out on it and say, no, that's not a binge watch a binge watch is when you do it in one fell swoop. And do you believe these studies that supposedly show that binge watching can cause depression?
0: (laughs) Well, I, you know, I haven't read that study, but I don't really want to talk about this anymore, but I will tell you, I think it's the best season for sure. Do you not want to talk about it
1: because you're depressed?
0: Uh, you know, I don't think I am. But, you know, one never knows. You know, the thing I always think about depressed people is do they know they're depressed or do they just think it's the way people feel? So I don't feel like I'm depressed, but maybe I just don't know what other people who are not depressed feel like. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense or not. We're moving right along now to our to our exciting conversation around Eye in the Sky this week, which was viewed at the Miami, Miami International, International Film, Film Festival. Yeah. <laughs> What's happening? we are seeing a suicide vest and a
1: whole bunch of explosives. What's the
0: plan, General? We have the ability to strike a target with considerable accuracy. I
1: came here to witness a capture, not a targeted assassination.
0: Dozens of lives are at stake if these men leave.
1: We need to put a hellfire through that roof right now. Weapon is armed. What's that? Given the new circumstances, I think we should abort.
0: You have number four and five on the president's kill list in your sights. You are putting the whole mission at risk because of one collateral damage issue? Minister. Third yeah, annual. Yeah, yay Miami. And Gavin yep. Hood,
1: the director, was there. So many people wanted to see this film. They actually had two screenings. And Gavin Hood did a really interesting Q&A. Um, a lot of people there, of course, they were a little shocked that he spent a good chunk of time apologizing for X-Men. Wolverine?
0: Oh. When I looked him up, you know, I saw that he had done Ender's Game and then again Stargate SG-1, neither of which... I ran to see, so. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, you know, I think that I think that he did an amazing job directing this. What did well, you think? Well, you know that
1: he wrote and directed Satsi, which won the Oscar in two thousand six for best foreign language film, and it huh. was the first time South Africa had ever won. Whoa. Something I find very interesting, he started out as a lawyer, and I think well, there you, you can go. really see that in his films.
0: I think the film is a great film. I think it's a really important film. I think it brings up the questions that are, you know, questions of our time so well, which I'm sure we'll go over a little bit later. But I thought it was really well directed. And also, I'm sure that some of those scenes were less than a page. I have never seen a juxtaposition of scene to, scene to scene to scene to scene with military precision, but also very, very short scenes to lead it, you know, to give us the background we needed to, to get to where we, we were going to really walk through the rest of the plot. Did you think well, you that was, was well done? You
1: know, my brain normally doesn't go to the commercial side of filmmaking, but I was a little curious what the budget was for this film.
0: It was a low budget film, by the way, very low not budget. i was surprised yeah. by that. Do you know the actual number? I don't know the number but I do know that even things like when they were filming for example um Helen Mirren's scene when she's in the um in the in the bunker wherever it was she was they used a green screen behind her and she was not even talking to the characters she was talking to the director because they just couldn't afford anything else This does
1: not surprise me because in many ways it reminded me of a film school assignment where you have to create tension as effectively as possible on as low a budget as possible. So to your point of the quick scenes, I think it was truly masterful editing where there were not a lot of locations for a quote unquote war movie, not a lot of explosions, not a lot of special effects. Cutting between the different decision makers was what kept it gripping.
0: Well, you know, it's funny. They had a lot to deal with in the film, and, you know, I, I sometimes, after I see a film, do go read other reviewers' uh, pieces. And on RogerEbert.com, uh, Godfrey Cheshire, who I think does really, really good work in terms of reviewing, he wrote something that I think is really, really important, and it sort of speaks to all of this. And he said, um, a key problem with films like this, because the subject is very potent and a contentious one... We don't just want excitement in its treatment, we want clarification and illumination, but how much of what we see here is accurate and factually based and how much is dramatic license? Surely the extensive use of the little girl ends up constituting sentimental overkill of a very agrarious sort. The film's end credit sequence, in particular, is the worst mistake I've seen in movies in months, which I didn't notice, but I'm sure you did. We'll talk about that. All in all, wouldn't the subject of drone warfare be more effectively treated by a well-reported documentary than by a drama that poses questions of accuracy throughout? And I felt like I was constantly questioning in each scene whether this was, could be true, you know, was there a little bee that, buzzes around like that. And if so, every time I look at a fly now, I'm going to make sure that it's real. I saw one the other day Uh, and
1: I thought, is that a secret camera?
0: I know, Um, I know, right?
1: We've discussed this before. There have been documentaries made about it. And one I even meant to see, and of course I have not done so yet, but back in 2013, there was an author who was interviewed by Tavis Smiley. And I remember this interview so well. It was Jeremy Scahill, a reporter who had just come out with a book called Dirty Wars. There's a Documentary by the same name, which played at Sundance. Which brings me to the one point I really
0: wanted to make about this movie. Well, mate, you should make it right this very minute in time. Okay, you go, this girl. Is- Wait, everybody pay attention. <laughs> She's making the only point she wanted to make. It's the biggie. <laughs> what is it, O'Toole? <laughs> to me, the film felt like an illustrated
1: lesson in philosophy. And it's the philosophical theory of utilitarianism. also known as the greatest happiness principle. But okay, in one sentence, this is the theory.
0: What is the one sentence?
1: It is the greatest happiness of the greatest number that is the measure of right and wrong. To me the whole question was the little girl the 9-year-old Alia is the face of collateral damage. I mean could you ask for a more adorable person on screen than Alia? By the way
0: she did a great job too. I mean that she little did girl did a great job. job, fabulous job. And
1: the question is really what's the difference between killing someone and letting someone die for the greater good?
0: You know I I can't even begin to address that question nor do I think I you know, I, I don't have the answer to the question. I don't. I mean, I don't think we can really answer that question in something like a podcast about it. But I mean, you know, you have your opinion. I might, I mean, everybody has an opinion to that answer to that no, question. I don't, I don't know I the don't, answer. I don't
1: know the answer, but I feel like the movie is playing out that question, and it's only that question. Yeah, I, I
0: don't think it was. Pl- I don't think it was playing out that question as having to have an answer to that question. I think it was just placing the question in front of us. And what it was showing was the different points of view around that question. So you have, you know, Helen Mirren, who's, you know, as you say, literally been tracking this, this, this group for six years, you know, she has no problem with the collateral damage of the girl. But then you've got the two drone, you know, people handling the drone, which is interestingly enough, by the way, supposedly 30% of people running these drones, these killer drones that are out there, 30% of the individuals from the American team that are running the drones need, um, PDSD, uh, treatment mm-hmm. uh, at some point in time. So clearly, you know, the two people running the drums, their point of view was she mattered in a way because they were not as invested in the evil that was inside the house. And then you have, you know, the politicians who are worried about the political fallout. And then you have the general, um, may he rest in now peace, what a great last role for him to be in. But you have him Yeah, you you have him sitting there with another point of view of trying to walk the line between winning and also making sure that everybody gets counted. I mean, I I don't think that the the question is put out there for anybody to really discuss an answer. I think it's an individual point of view, totally. But I think they laid the layers in so beautifully about how it all it all determines your your point of view determines how you answer questions like this. And therefore, the conflict of interest around the decision to be made is really what's at stake here, that everybody in that team had a conflict of interest. The guy pushing the button had a conflict of interest with the general had a conflict of interest with the prime minister had a conflict of interest. Everybody comes from a um, fallout. From the action that affects them all differently. And as long as there's all those conflicts of interest, it's very hard to come to what see, what is the right or wrong I decision. I didn't
1: quite see it like that. To me, it came down to the philosophical question between is there a difference Morally, between letting someone die and killing someone actively, because if you think about it, they took so many things off the table. Everyone agreed that the terrorists were bad guys. There was no evidence out there suggesting that maybe they were good guys who had been framed, or, you know, it was someone's bias that was looking at them incorrectly. They had suicide vests. There was no doubt that they were about to go kill somebody. One of the two targets was a woman and a British citizen. So they kind of took that off the table, that Helen Mirren might be killing somebody who's not a British
0: citizen. No, I mean, all those, yeah, we get all that. They could have made all those points of contention, but here they didn't. The dilemma was not whether they should hit... The target or not it was how long why did they have to hit it in that moment in time was it really imminent that they were going to leave in five seconds or did they have the 50 seconds they need i don't think anybody questioned that they should shoot the drone it was a question of when
1: which is my point i think it was actually it was very honed in like um the eye in the sky drone eye of the camera it was very honed in on to me very limited issues Yeah, well, well, I don't don't understand your point. They might have debated war. They might have debated the ethics of using drones at all.
0: And this was not the moment in time to debate war. This was the moment in time to debate when to push the button. And Which to me is a very limited issue.
1: It was just really the question of collateral damage. I think when you're that person who has to pull the trigger, you're the one
0: faced with that very moral question. And, you know, I, I thought it was a huge issue, and I think it's worth its own film, to you know, to debate how long do you wait and at what risk. And uh, you know, I think it was an amazingly important debate in terms of you know, when's, when do you have to do that? And were they acting too soon when they could have waited, et cetera? But I
1: see what I'm hearing you say is they were only debating how long they should wait, but they weren't debating the overall drone program. They weren't yeah. debating the fact that they because were in that, Kenya yeah, because where not, of them because was a that's national. Not what, yeah, because, a national. They weren't kill list existence. So are you allowed to kill your own citizens? Is it better or worse to kill your citizens versus non-citizens? They're, they're, you because know. that
0: was not the point of this particular movie. I'm sure there are movies out there debating that. This was not doing that we are locked into this kill chain i need legal clearance to strike
1: i'm the pilot in command responsible for releasing the weapon i will fire when this girl is out of the way there
0: is a lot more at stake than you see in this image i don't think helen Mirren questioned herself at all nor do i think alan rickman did they were happy with, they were gonna live with that collateral see, damage I think, I and think by the way they were uh, you know
1: likely to live with it but i think they also had some comfort from knowing that the ultimate okay had to come from someone else
0: Oh, I, I don't think she wanted the ultimate okay to come from anyone else. She just wanted it done. She wanted to do it herself. In fact, she says to him, you know, just a little while into the to the film, why don't ask anybody? Let's just do it. We have the right to do this. She was she trying. Said that, she that, but didn't. there was
1: a moment later where she hesitated, and she said, okay, we're going to yeah. measure this one more time for the collateral No, assessment. she
0: hesitated trying. I think she hesitated trying to find her way out of it. It had nothing to do. I don't think that... For one moment in that film does she question her desire to do it? She was trying to make it so that she could do it without repercussions <laughs> don't later. Do you think
1: that even she found it difficult when she saw the face of that young no, girl? No, I on don't the think screen. she did it. No. I oh, I think even I she did it as well. I think she
0: would I think she, I don't think so at all. I think she was saying damn as in now they're going to make it even harder, not as in oh my god. I mean, sure does she want the kid there? No, but I don't think she, I think she saw that as something getting in the way of her of the ends that she wanted. I don't think that It was a question of, oh my God, that poor girl. And I, by the way, I think my favorite, do you have a favorite line in the movie? I liked the quote that they opened with
1: that the first casualty of war is truth.
0: I love that too. But the quote, the quote that I found. Most poignant, which I think is so true, and it comes from Alan Rickman. And I think, by the way, again, you know, this was the last performance we're going to see from him, you know, because he's, he's since passed away. But what a great performance I think he did. You know, we will but his hear quote, his
1: voice one more time in Alice Through the Looking Glass.
0: Okay, but we won't see him. And um, I, when he says at, toward the end of the film, never tell a soldier he doesn't know the cost of war. I think to me that summed it all up of, you think, you know, you think I didn't feel, it has nothing to do with that. I know the cost of war and I've been there physically and you haven't, I mean, I thought that summed it all up where, to, to both Mirren and to Rickman, you know, this was the cost of war and they had learned, you know, to, to be, if you will, comfortable in it almost, you know.
1: I think that goes to my point that these weren't easy decisions for either of them either.
0: I, I think knowing the cost of war and suffering from it are two different things. And what I also think, what did you think... I have to ask this question. This is an either-or question. Did you think the doll touch with Rickman buying a doll for his grandchild, or I I think it was his grandchild, do you think it was a heavy-handed you know, it was
1: a little heavy. It was.
0: Yeah. Or did you or did you think it was poignant? I mean, here he is buying this doll consumed with getting the right doll for his grandchild. And clearly someone who's clear, you know, the same age as his grandchild is being blown up by him. And he doesn't seem to connect the two. I mean, uh, to oh, me, I it was definitely handed hand to hand. Oh, in what I way? it was more poignant at
1: the end where i had kind of forgotten about the doll. But at the beginning, I thought it was a little bit much
0: i never i never once forgot about the doll and when he picks up the doll when the when the uh the person working for him hands him the doll and is okay we took care of it and he says oh you know sort of like you know god what a day that's how you i, I don't get yeah. now also uh guess what um as we saw in sicario yes i know where you're uh,
1: going
0: with this okay mirin was originally a male officer yes And now we've seen this three times. Sicario, can you guess the other one? Well, I know
1: we didn't see this together, but in Salt, it was the same thing, too. I know you're going to say our brand is
0: Crisis. Our brand is Crisis, which was who? Which was Sandra Bullock. And she wanted the part, so she went to her friend... George Clooney. Yep, and got the part. So it was also written for a male. And then in Sicario... um, Yeah. Yeah, and now this. So... Three times in war movies this year, they've changed the male role to a female role, and don't you think it was ever the better for it?
1: Well, kudos to Gavin Hood, because that was his doing. Was it? And I didn't know, yeah. Yes, it was, and I was more likely to see it, because I knew that at least there were some women in there.
0: Well, also, I just think that that tough woman persona approach, I just think it would have been so heavily weighted on the male side. You're right, it just didn't have the same... Um, But also, I think the fact that she could decide that way and with a uh, lack of motherly callousness... I think it was very important. I think there was a great choice on his part.
1: Well, it's interesting, too, because Guy Hibbert wrote the
0: screenplay. Who, by the way, has done nothing that I've seen. What about you? He's done a lot of writing for TV,
1: and he's the one that wrote one of the prime suspect movies, which starred, of course, Helen Mirren.
0: But wait, you said Gavin Hood made the decision. Did you think? To change the part to a
1: female. And Gavin Hood said that Helen Mirren can play that steely persona so convincingly that it doesn't matter if it's a man or a woman. It's Helen Mirren as an officer.
0: Oh my God, I thought she was
1: great. And even Gavin Hood himself, he was in the movie as well. He played the Lieutenant Colonel.
0: Which one was that?
1: You know, the guy that told the drone pilots they'd done a good job?
0: oh oh that's him
1: and to go home yep that's him
0: i wonder if that was a budget decision <laughs> you know I, who knows maybe it was you know another person he doesn't have to pay more to you know who knows well, who you knows? know it's
1: true he shot it in cape town because that was cheaper and it was financed by northern
0: ireland well that's interesting
1: <laughs> and yeah. did you see there was a big name producer on this movie too uh who colin firth
0: oh good old colin huh yeah also, it was pointed out in that same Roger Ebert review that I told you about that this week, U.S. drone strikes reportedly killed 150 people in Somalia, which is a country which the United States is not at war with, and Congress has authorized no military action, and they said that the deceased were reported to be terrorists, 150 in one spot. That's sort of odd. Um, but there's no independent verification of that. And I, you know, it's, there are so many elements of this that make us take a look. And when you hear drone strikes now in today's world, nobody really thinks that much about it. And I thought it brought that point home well. Well, delayed. that's why
1: I do need to go read Dirty Wars and see the documentary. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but um, the movie was full, and other movies in the same theater group I was in were not. So I think that's a good sign, and I do hope people will go see this. Don't you? You
1: know, I want to go back to something that you brought up about post traumatic stress disorder, because you know those psychological experiments where they ask people, or they did in the past anyway, to administer electric shocks to people yeah, yeah, that were course. in a neighboring yep. room, and they said it was much easier to administer that shock if you weren't in the same room. And I thought that that. Was would be the same, um, you know, that it would be the same with drone strikes. Yeah, but
0: these people got to—they see them. You know, I think. Look, when you when you hit a target, it, when you're flying in a you know in a bomber and you hit a target you don't see the people when you're drone when you're striking with drones look at how they had to hone in on the bodies it's much more traumatic than flying over and dropping a bomb well,
1: that's exactly what gavin hood said because i yeah. think in terms of the psychological experiment it might be that way for the decision makers who are the people in the room next door where i don't know if they're really if they really have this um You know, video hookup where they're looking at it live, but it was an interesting device to use in the movie that everybody was functioning on the same information. So again, they kept a lot of factors constant. Um, But this is what Gavin Hood said at the festival. He said to your point about PTSD. He said drone pilots are suffering twice as much PTSD as fighter pilots.
0: Well, because they can see that they can see things that fighter pilots cannot. And he said that the
1: fighter pilots they drop their payloads um, and then they say, "Yeah, you know, you're a little nervous, but there's not a great chance of getting shot down. You drop your payload, you leave." I thought this was really interesting. And here's the quote: "The fact that his life isn't at risk." as a drone pilot and he's in a combat zone is causing some kind of weird disconnect and also oddly a feeling of guilt because there's something about being face to face with the enemy with a sword that's honorable.
0: Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure that's true too. And it's funny because toward the end when they walk out of the little hangar that they're in and you realize they're in Nevada and meanwhile, they've just been living the last eight hours, you know, in the middle of Somalia You know, it is, it's just bizarre. And making that transition is sort of like walking through the looking glass. It can't be easy,
1: you know? Mm -hmm. And yet I'm glad the movie didn't continue and show us suicide bombers.
0: So do you recommend it? Do you think people should go see it? I think it's a good
1: class in terms of aspiring filmmakers in discussing how to create tension. One thing I really want to give a shout out to is the music. I thought the music did a great job of creating tension and they used the Budapest Film Orchestra.
0: Yeah, it was very good. Well, this changes things.
1: When you're creating tension and you need that ticking clock, in this movie, it was literally Alia's loaves of bread.
0: Beautifully done, really beautifully done. And I think it's a great film to go with and then have dinner with somebody afterward to discuss, because I don't think it's the kind of film that you go and then not talk about afterward, you know?
1: Do you have any thoughts, though, on what you would have done or which character you most aligned with?
0: You know, I I got to tell you, I don't I don't look at film that way. I really don't. So I, I don't, I, you know, I, I can't imagine what decisions I would make and... Again, I think that each one of those people made a decision based on additional experience other than the stuff we saw. So you know, I think Helen Mirren was you know again six years of following that couple and watching the terrible things they've done. I, I have no, I don't, I don't ever try to say, well, what would I do? I mean, I I try not to. Sometimes you do, but but no, I don't. I don't know. In those particular cases, there were so many decisions made by so many people. I, why do you, do you think you wouldn't have done it, or
1: well, to me. The way the film was constructed threw me right into the decision-making process because none of those characters really leave their rooms. The drone pilots are in their little bunker with their remote controls. Alan Rickman is with the English politicians in a conference room. Helen Mirren is in her bunker. Because it's constructed like that and no one's disagreeing on the facts, there was nothing left for me to do as the viewer but to sit there and try to actively make the decision with them since we were all functioning on the same amount of information they kill 80 people, we win the propaganda war. If we kill one child, they do. We've got two suicide bombers inside that house, and no one wants to take responsibility for pulling the trigger.
0: We lost visual. Christ. We need a decision. Ready. Right now. Three. Go! Two. Wait. One. See, I think as you were all you have to do is suck it all in. <laughs> and, and do then, nothing with it? Well, no, and, and just experience it. You know, I don't I don't know that we have to do anything with every single thing. You know, I think you can just take it in and, and marinate in it and walk away feeling very sad about the state of the world and the fact that bugs are being used to spy on people and now we have to start looking at flies when they drive by. You know, it's like, I don't know. There was one other quote that I just wanted to sort of throw out, and maybe, you know, we can even end with this quote. At one point, um, the guy's saying, look, so worst-case scenario, they put the video up on YouTube. And then someone else says to him, YouTube videos create revolutions. And I thought it was one of the more poignant uh, points of the movie is that in today's world, a visual, visual, you know, visual presentation of things like a drone strike like this, where you can actually see the people and then they're incinerated in, you know, literally a second. Uh, It does create revolutions and the the visual does totally change the way people feel about things. And I think this movie certainly brings all that home.
1: I thought that was a fascinating exchange because the way I remember it, one of the politicians is worried about whether or not the news will be leaked that they knew suicide bombers were putting on vests and they did nothing to deter it. And Alan Rickman turns to him and says, look, we're not discussing whether or not something will be published on YouTube. And that's when the guy says that's where radicals are bred.
0: The movie brings up so many points that we're all sort of struggling with in today's world. So if for no other reason than, you know, sort of, a visual presentation of the different points of view around the argument. I think it's worth a see for sure. and But I don't think it's something you necessarily need to see on the big screen. So you could also wait for it to come on on demand. But I highly recommend it. And please can next week, let's not do another war film, okay?
1: Well, next week we're doing Joe Costello on oh, the Preppy Connection. Yay,
0: one of my favorite the films war of on the drugs. year. Yep, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> Okay, so over and out from here, you know, whiskey, tango, banter, whatever, (laughs) back and forth, over and out.